So I think about that's, I mean, what we just saying, that's, that's the difficult part about walking through life is that taking and trusting that God's love is not failing in the midst of what we're walking through. So, so I was doing some prep for the sermon today, and one of the things that I found is that anthropologists, you know what an anthropologist is? An anthropologist is someone who studies humanity. And what they would say is that Westerners today are the worst at suffering. That's us. We're Westerners. And they would say that we Westerners today are the worst at suffering. We aren't prepared for it. And when it does hit us, it destroys us more than any other culture. And so as I'm preparing for the sermon, I found, I heard that when the tsunami struck on the other side of the world, that we Westerners, we handled it worse than the people who actually were hit by those tsunamis. And here's the reason Western Christians also, we are horrible at suffering. And the reason is because we aren't very Christian in our suffering. Now, so you look at other cultures. So other cultures, they'll, they'll do this. They'll say suffering is just, suffering is going to happen in life. And they'll actually say that suffering is a good thing to go through because what it's going to do is it's going to cause you to reflect and take hold of greater things. And we do not have that view at all in Western culture. When we suffer, what we do is we say, who do I need to sue? Something has gone wrong and I need to figure out what it is. So who is to blame for this? We say something bad has happened to me. Who am I going to blame for it? And we're looking around for it. I, I remember this article that was written in Relevant Magazine. And it said, it said that Christians are horrible at dying. It's particularly about Western Christians are horrible at dying. And what it's saying is that when Christians hear news that they're dying, they handle it without hope and without peace because they aren't very Christian in their suffering. And when the Bible talks about life in this world, it is incredibly honest about what we are walking through, but it's also incredibly hopeful. And, and one of the reasons why Western Christians are bad at suffering is because churches do not talk about this. Because it's not going to bring people in to talk about suffering. So we don't want to talk about it. But here's, listen to what that says. Here's what it says to people who are suffering. There's no place for you at church. Because church is a place where people go when they're happy. And so it says to people who are suffering, there is no place for you here. Don't ruin what we have here. It's happy here. Don't ruin this. If you're suffering, just kind of keep away if you can. And that's not a biblical view of what the church is supposed to be. And all of us, and, and here's what has happened. The church has failed to equip people at suffering. And for all of us, to some degree, we are all suffering. All of us in this room right now, to some degree, we are suffering. It could be suffering for guilt. You could be feeling guilt for sin that you've had in the past or sin that you have right now, and you feel guilty about it. That's a form of suffering. You could be emotionally suffering, or you could be physically suffering. But we all, to some degree, some greater than others, we are all suffering. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at this particular part about our suffering that God will, here's what God will do. If we will connect to him, listen, listen, if we will connect to him, 
he will take our suffering and it will become something that all suffering can do to us is grow us. All it can do is refine us. All it can do is make us more beautiful, more of who we're made to be. So we're in John, and, and we're actually reading the same verses we read last week. We're going to read verses 1 through 11, John 15, 1 through 11. Here's what it says. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So the first thing I want you to see here is that Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you so that your joy may be full. And what he's saying here is that even despite whatever's going on with your circumstances, joy can happen in the midst of whatever it is that you are going through. Now, we might need a different definition of joy, but joy is there, can happen in the midst of whatever your circumstances are. And this is only because we have a God, listen, we have a God who entered into suffering to make us more alive. So when we, if we suffer, while we suffer, go to him, all that it can do to us is make us more and more alive. And before we dig into this text and what it's talking about with suffering here, there's a few things that we got to clarify. First, what is the cause of suffering? And second, how God feels about suffering. So when we look about the, at the cause of suffering, here's what we got to understand. Jesus keeps saying, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. Now, abide in me means get connected to me, get with me. Now, the whole problem that our world is dealing with is that we are disconnected with God. We have been separated from God. That's, that's the whole premise of sin. Sin has caused us to separate from God, and so that has ushered in suffering into our world. Now, what, I'm, what I am not saying is that if you are suffering, God is punishing you. That's not what the Bible is saying. But the cause of suffering is sin because we've been separated from that which is life. And it's ushered in decay. So there's this common saying that has been debunked, but we still hear it all the time. We, people say, if God is good and he is powerful then why are we suffering? Because if God is good and he's powerful, then that means he can get rid of suffering, so why are we suffering? 
So it must mean that God isn't good or God isn't powerful because if he's good, he would end suffering. So it must be that he's not powerful because if he is good and suffering isn't ending, that must mean he's not powerful enough. And here's what this statement fails to understand. Could it be possible that God could bring good out of suffering? Think about Christianity. The whole entire, I mean, it's founded upon a God who has suffered so that we could have the greatest thing that has ever happened to us happen to us. The greatest news that we could ever hear is that God has come into the world, he's come for a relationship with us, and he's come to make all things right if we will go to him, and that is all possible first because he has suffered in our place. So the whole premise of Christianity is that Jesus has come to suffer in our place. We have a God who has suffered. The second thing that this is assuming when we say, when we say this statement is it doesn't take into account that there's a potential that it's not God's fault that we are suffering, but it's because we have been disconnected from God, and that has ushered in the suffering. So, if we get connect, disconnected from the earth, the more and more, I mean, gravity tries to pull us back down because we're meant to be connected to the earth. And the further and further we get away from the earth, the, more, the harder it is for us to survive as we get further away from the earth, and the more we end up suffering the further we get away from the earth. We can fight gravity, but ultimately we're suffering more and more the further we get from the earth. And the same is true with God. The further we get from him, the more we end up experiencing suffering. And so he is, by his grace, is pulling us back to him. This is the gravity of grace, him pulling us back. You say, well... I mean, this is essentially called the fall when we're disconnected from God. And so we say, well, why isn't God chasing us down? He's doing it right now. You just have to see it. He's pursuing you with his grace. He's giving you this grace that's absolutely irresistible so that he will draw you back to him. The gravity of grace is pulling you back, back into him, back into the greatest place that you should ever, could ever be is in him, in his arms of grace, wrapping you up. So either we think we don't deserve it or we don't think it's true, but it's there being offered. We just fight it. And if you will see that our suffering, if you will see that it's not God's fault, then you're going to see how God feels about suffering. So our, our verses aren't in particular aren't telling us about how God feels about suffering. But earlier in John, here's what we saw. Jesus comes to his friend Lazarus, who has died. And Jesus looks around at all the people who are suffering because of Lazarus' death. And you know what Jesus does? He looks at it all and he weeps. He's not stoic. He's not indifferent to it all. He's weeping. He's mourning. I mean, this is a deep wailing that he experiences when he sees all the people around him suffering because of Lazarus's death. If you don't think that God cares about your suffering, you have completely 
misunderstood him. You have misunderstood God completely. If we say, okay, well, if God hates suffering, why isn't he doing something about it? Again, he's doing something about it. Here's the issue. We don't think he's doing anything about it because we don't understand him, and we don't understand him because we don't know him, and really we don't know him, and we're suffering, and we're not doing the greatest thing we need to do, which is to go to him in the midst of our suffering. God's heart is breaking. See, we have this assumption that when people are suffering, that it's hurting us more than it's hurting God. We have this assumption that when people are in pain, that we hurt more than God is hurting about it. If you think that you care more about people than God does, you are misunderstanding God. God cares for you more than you care for yourself. God loves your children more than you love them. And God looks around at the children in this world suffering, and it breaks his heart far more than it is breaking ours. Could it be that God is the most misunderstood person that there has ever been? Jesus seems to think that. Jesus says, I've come into this world to love this world, and I've come to die for this world. And he says, but the world is going to hate me. And it's what happens. The world crucifies him. Misunderstood. God's heart is breaking because we are misunderstanding him. And here's why it's breaking. Because in our misunderstanding, we don't go to him in the midst of our suffering, but he is the greatest place for us to go in the midst of it. We're misunderstanding him, so we're not going to him. So let's see what happens when we go to him. Now we're really going to get into the text. Jesus says, he's the vine, which is the root, and we are the branches. And the degree that we are connected in to Christ, the root, is the degree that we grow and flourish and become who we're made to be. Now, now listen to this part. Jesus is the root, and now listen. The Father is the pruner. Here's what that means. To prune a bush is to trim it. Okay? So to trim something, you cut it. You hurt it. Why? So that that bush will draw more from the root. That's how you make a tree flourish. You cut it. So the Father is cutting you so that you might draw more from the root and become who you're made to become. So that you will go to Christ. Now listen, Christ is the greatest thing for you, the greatest treasure for you right here. We all suffer to some degree in this world. And what this is saying is that the Father is pruning you so that you will go and rely on the root. And as you do that, you become something beautiful. Something more beautiful than you would not have become had you not been pruned. And here's what that means for you. This is, this is listen, this means that if you are suffering, it's not senseless. It means that it's not meaningless. 
it means that there is a purpose behind it. And it means that suffering can only do one thing to you. If you are connected to the root, the only thing suffering can do to you is grow you. The only thing suffering can do to you is make you become more of who you're made to be. The only thing suffering can do to you is make you beautiful. It's not senseless and it's not meaningless. So we have this rose bush at our house. And about a year, a little, well, more than a year ago, it looked horrible. The leaves had this film on it. The roses were a very, very embarrassing version of a rose. People came to the house and said, don't look at the rose bush. So here's what I did. I pruned this thing down to nothing. I mean, it just looked like sticks. Elise thought I killed this rose bush. Three months later, this thing looks beautiful. It's flourishing. The roses look better than they did when I bought it because by pruning it, it drew more from the root system. It became, it started looking more and more like it was meant to look. You say, okay, David, fine, but I thought you said God does not, is not the cause of our suffering. Well, okay, again, one, the root cause of suffering is sin. Second, God hates suffering. Third, anytime that you are suffering, if you're connected to Christ, all you can do is grow. So in one sense, suffering is the worst thing that can happen to you. In another sense, this is saying it's one of the best things that can happen to you because it's leading you to the greatest prize that the earth, that the world has ever known, Jesus Christ. It's something to wrestle with, and it's a, it's a magnificent claim. It's a hard claim to have to work through, but it is fantastic news. So in one sense... Uh, it's the worst news, and in another sense, it's the greatest news. But listen, it's different. It's different. You've got to understand how this is a different kind of thing. So my kids could blame me for, suffering, for their suffering. Because if you put a child in timeout, their world is ending. It looks like everything is over for them. You are hurting them badly. But a good parent will discipline them so that they might grow. If you are abiding in Christ, connected to him, then that means God is your father. And that means you can never be punished, but only grown. And do you know why I say that? You know that the Christian can't be punished? You know that. There's the Christian cannot be punished by God, and here's why. Because the whole idea of Christianity is that God himself came, died on a cross to be punished in the Christian's place. God cannot punish us for something we have done because he's already punished Christ for it. So that means that anything we are walking through is a loving father guiding us through. And the things that are happening are happening so that we might go to Christ, so that we might draw more from him. If I'm a good dad, I'm not going to punish my kids. I'm going to discipline them in the most loving way possible for their sake, for their growth, out of a love for them. So uh, about 10 years ago, I had a major back problem. Um, I've told some of you guys, I mean, I think a lot of you guys have heard about this before, but for about three months, I was just confined to laying on the ground. Anytime I got up, excruciating pain, and it was horrible, and I was pissed at God. 
I was angry. I was crying out to him. I'm saying, why are you doing this to me right now? But something started happening, and it wasn't day one, and it wasn't the week one, and it wasn't the first month, but months in, I started doing something that I had not done before. I started going to Christ. I started abiding in him. I started connecting to him. So what I had is in the midst of this horrible thing happening to me, I took hold of the greatest thing that's ever happened to me more and more. And what happened is somehow in this weird way, I experienced more joy because of what I was going through because it led me straight to Christ. And I'm changed by that experience and I would never take it back because of what the joy that I discovered in Christ gave me, which I never would have had had I not gone through that. I know that sounds so strange, but I got connected in. I don't know how to describe it. It just happened that way. God prunes us the same way a doctor cuts us to heal us. He's removing an infection. He's doing something. And some of you right now, you're in surgery right now, and you have no idea that you're in surgery. Things are happening to you, and you're like not having any idea what's going on, and the reason is because you're in surgery and you have no idea that it's happening. Here's another way to think about it. C.S. Lewis says it like this. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. This is, by, this is one of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis, by the way. I, you've heard me say this before. So here's what he says. At first, so God's rebuilding you as a house, a living house, and at first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. God is causing growing pains. He's a living house. He's causing these growing pains because of what he's making you into. All of you, in some way, you're suffering. And some of you guys, I've told you this in private, that you need to go and have an argument with God. That you're going through something, and you need to go and get with God and argue it out. That's what the psalmist did. You read through the psalms, the psalmist is constantly throwing these arguments up to God. He's struggling, and he's saying, God, I hope in you. I mean, there's a place, he says, God, I hope in you, but I just wish you would turn your face away from me so I can smile again. <laughs> In other words, stop pruning me. Stop it. What that's saying is God is putting you through more than you can handle. There's something that people say a lot. Oh, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. And that is BS. The whole premise of life in this world is that it is more than you can handle. You need a rescue or you need a savior, so go run to him. This world is screaming at you that you need a rescuer. It's the best thing for us. The problem is we're so stubborn. So we don't want to go to him. And, and you got to see this. 
It's pretty remarkable. The psalmist is yelling at God. Like he's literally yelling at God. I mean, there's exclamation points behind what he's saying, but here's what he's doing. He's going to God. He's connecting into the vine. Connecting to the root. And he's trying to make sense of it all. And that doesn't mean it's going to make sense day one. doesn't mean it's going to make sense week one or month one or year one. But at the end, when it finally makes sense and clicks, what you're going to realize is that you are coming out of it all refined. You are coming out like gold. But you know, not, a lot of, not a lot of preachers would tell you this, but if you need to go yell at God, go do it. But make sure you go to him. Don't yell at him from a distance. Go yell at him like, hey, let's talk this out. I need to understand what's going on here. And there's, there's a select few of you who need to understand something very, very important. Something that you're going through, maybe someone you love is going through, and here's what you got to know. Sometimes in the midst of intense and heavy suffering, it doesn't look like you're growing at all. It looks like you're getting worse. And it looks like you're getting further and further and further away from God. But I want to tell you this. At the end of it, you're going to be amazed at what God has done that you didn't realize he was doing. And you're going to come out like gold. So here's how you could think about it. In the story of the Lord of the Rings, there's a hobbit. A hobbit is a thing. I don't know a person. I don't know what a hobbit is, but a hobbit is a hobbit. It's got hairy feet. And a hobbit lives on the other side of the world where everything is perfect. Everything is comfortable. Life is easy. And you look at this hobbit and, wow, this is a kind person. This is a loving person. This is a person who's just living this very comfortable, peaceful life. And then the story goes on and this hobbit is called to, for, to this task that's going to lead him into some intense evil. And here's what happens to him. He's called into this task that's going to cause him to suffer. The people that, he, people that he loves die. He sees it happen right in front of him. And he gets wounds that he's going to carry with him for the rest of his life. And internally, there's even a greater struggle going on. There's even a greater suffering going on internally. And what's interesting about the story is that typical when you see stories, typically when you see stories of heroes, it's this hero that's got this calling and he grows and grows and grows or she grows and grows and grows into this calling and saves the day. Well, this is a story of a downward spiral of a hero where this hobbit enters into evil and he gets worse. He abandons his friends, and he's got this ring of power. The whole task is to destroy this ring of power, and he's at the place where he can destroy it, but he knows if he keeps it, he's going to have, he's lusting for this ring, and there's a battle going on within him, and he takes the ring, and he keeps it. He turns away, and he's fallen, he's failed, and he has this great lust for this ring of power. And then through these events that happen, good destroys evil by using evil to destroy itself, which, by the way, that's what's happening in suffering, by the way. But after this is all over, after he gets through all of this, he comes out like gold. And I want you to know what's happened. The intensity 
of the suffering that he went through, he was growing the whole time. It's just that his growth could not keep up with the intensity of what he was going through. Does that make sense? He is walking through something that is so hard, and he's growing and growing and growing exponentially, but the suffering he's entering into is so much greater than the growth that he's experiencing, so it looks like he's not growing at all, but in the end, when the suffering's over, what you find is he has grown like crazy. And some of you right now, you are walking through suffering just like that. And you feel like you're getting worse, and you feel like you're getting further away from God, but the reality is that you're getting closer and closer and closer to him internally. It's just that your circumstances are around you are greater than the growth that you're experiencing. And if you have suffered, or you're in the midst of suffering now, which we all have, there's a common trap that you fall into, that we all fall into, and that's that we gain our identity around our suffering. We start to identify with our suffering so much that it is beginning to define us. We say, oh, who, who are you? Tell me about you. Well, I went through this big, intense suffering. Listen to this. Your suffering does not define you. Your suffering is part of your story, but it is not your story, and it's certainly not the end of your story. Your suffering will, though, make you or break you got to hear that. Suffering will make you or break you. It will cause you to run to him or, or run away from him. Even watching other people suffer will cause you to run to him or cause you to run away from him. When you talk to people, sometimes they'll say, hey, I suffered so much, it led me right to Christianity. And other people will say, I was a Christian and I suffered. I, had, I, I left the church and I left God. I couldn't believe in a God who would let these things happen. How, how, why two different polar opposite reactions? Because suffering will make you or break you. Look, the Father's job is to prune you. And every time you get pruned, you're drawing more from Christ. But if you will not go to Christ, here's what happens. You keep getting pruned because he wants you desperately to go to the greatest thing that's ever happened to you. So he keeps pruning you, but you won't go to him. And eventually you're going to get pruned so much that there's not going to be anything left of you. But if you will go to Christ, you're going to keep growing. And every time you get pruned, you're going to become more and more beautiful and more and more who you were made to become. Either way, the Father is so desperately, with this purest of love, so desperately trying to get you to go to Christ, the greatest thing that's ever happened to this world. It's life that is on the other side of the fire. And I don't know how any other way to describe life in this world is passing through the fire. Now, you can avoid the fire, you could try to go around the fire, but eventually you're going to have to walk through that fire, and that fire is going to make you or break you. But I want you to know, on the other side of that fire is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you, Jesus Christ, and he's there. And, and here's what you got to know, too. In the midst of the suffering, if you don't know this, you're going to run from God, but if you do know this, you will run right to him, and that's this. He himself has already entered into the fire. He is not a God that, suffer, that watches suffering at a distance, but he is a God who has entered into suffering so that he might redeem us in the midst of our suffering. 
he goes through the fire because the prize on the other side of the fire is you. He doesn't want to go through the fire, but then he does. It's a joy for him to go through. I mean, he, he literally, it literally says this in the Bible. It's a joy for him to walk through the fire, not because he enjoys suffering, but because of what's on the other side of it, you. He walks through to get you, and only in Christianity do you have a God who suffers to get you. You know what that does to you? It means now you can go to him knowing that he understands everything that you're going through because he's experienced it at an exponentially larger degree. And the whole reason that he has gone through it, the whole reason that he has suffered is because he wants you and he wants to make you into who you're made to become. He is suffering, so only one thing can happen to you when you do suffer. You grow. You become who you're made to be. Suffering has no hold on you anymore. Do you see that? You're free from it. You can say, bring it on, because I know all it's going to do is make me more into who God's made me to be. Now, by the way, if someone is suffering, do not say that to them. Cry with them like what Jesus did. There's only one innocent sufferer. There's only one innocent sufferer there's ever been, and he hung on a cross for you. Died there for you. And here's what happened on the cross. Listen, here's what happened on the cross. The innocent God, he goes to the suffering of all suffering on the cross. He goes there and, he, and then is cast as far and far and far away from the Father as he could be. And in that moment, spiritual suffering is thrust down upon him so that he could experience everything that was meant for us so that now we can experience freedom from our suffering so that suffering can only do one thing to us, grow us. So we just go to him. Let life in this world drive you to him. Life in this world is screaming something at you. Christianity is saying it's screaming to you to go to Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand what this means for us. God, I pray that no one here would leave misunderstanding you. God, I pray that my inability to describe what things that you are speaking about in your word would not have an effect on people here, but that we would leave with a greater understanding of who you are, how you feel about suffering, and what you came to do about it. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.